glad you're here. I hate to be the only one here. I want to thank the praise and worship team today. I threw two new songs at them, and they learned both and did a great job, don't you think? You know, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, get come, we come to church and we just show up and we go through and experience what we experience every Sunday morning and we don't know what takes place during the week. Just so you know, the average amount of time that the praise and worship team spends for every Sunday morning is three hours. So, uh, yes, we need to dismiss the little ones. Thank you. And there's a bunch of them. Good. Glad to be filling in for Andrew this morning. He's out of town. I'm always happy to share God's word with people. First question. Why are you here? He said, what do you mean, why am I here? It's Sunday. This is what I do on Sunday. Well, that's true for some of us, perhaps. For others of us, maybe somebody made us come like mom or dad. Or a wife. How about that? Um, well, I'm here because when I don't come, I feel guilty, so I come. I want to share with you something this morning that will help you to get something out of every time you come. What a promise. No matter who's speaking. You ready? As you come on campus, maybe as you get out of your car, or maybe as you come up the sidewalk, or you open the back doors, or maybe as you sit down, but every week at the same time, pray this prayer. Lord, speak to my heart. Change me. Because we're more apt to get something out of what is being shared if we come hungry and expecting. I just thought I'd share that with you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, As long as I am in... Peter. Okay, this is Peter. As long as I am in this tent... Now, he wasn't in a pup tent. He's referring to what? His body. As long as I am in this body, I will endeavor to stir you up. Well, just so you know this morning, that's my goal. I hope to stir you up. Because I believe that if there's anything that needs to be done and anything that needs to be happening today in the Christian churches for Christians to be stirred up. So, how are you doing? Think about it. That's the question that Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah, asks in his new book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World. I would recommend that book to you. Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World. David Jeremiah. Sheila and I were talking the other day how that it seems like we've gone to bed and we woke up and we're in some sci-fi movie or something. You, you feel that way? Things are happening so quickly. But I, we need to remember that there have always been tumultuous times in our history. World War I, 
Pearl Harbor, D-Day, the atomic bomb, the revolution of the 60s, 9-11, the financial collapse, or downfall at least, of 2008. It always has seemed that there's some, at least, political unrest. The world-wide disease and economic failure. But I would suggest to you this morning that there has never been a time in our collective history, in our collective memory, like the current moment. Our nation and our world is in turmoil. Would you agree? Is there a way to live with confidence in this chaotic world? So I'm going to be looking this morning at living in perilous times. And the verses have already been read once this morning, but I want to rehash those again. If you'll turn in your Bibles or your devices, or it's on the back of your study sheet this morning as well, we'll be headed there in just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. Another question. What is the explanation as to what is going on in our world, in our country? For the most part, we have weak explanations. At the same time, many pulpits are silent on the issues. There are many that think if we just elect the right candidate, everything will be back to normal. But how can a society be happy and prosperous, expect God's blessing and protection when we no longer honor Him? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parent, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, not being able to satisfy them, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have the appearance of godliness, but deny the power of thereof. We continue that thought in Romans chapter 1, society that is characterized by the depravity of evil, one where violence escalates, where there's floods and droughts and hurricanes, and the one that we're most familiar with, even this week, fires. You know what the Bible says about all of this? These things must happen. So, boy, I really am encouraged this morning. I'm glad I've come. But God is warning. He always warns before He judges. We're living in a, let's call it a warm-up to the tribulation period. There are always consequences when we don't do things God's way. You understand that. Society fails. The church is full of apostasy. Powerful men and women think their way is the best, and that always leads to wreckage. God is endeavoring to wake up His church so that we will once again look up. We are caught up in end-time strong delusion. You understand that? 
end time strong delusion. And it keeps people from thinking straight. I mean, you look at Washington and some of the things that are being said, and even in our own state, and you've got to wonder, what is going on? That absolutely makes no sense. COVID has gone from the large, over 100,000 people in the college football stadiums back into the classroom where our kids are now have to wear masks. How does that make any sense? And on and on it goes. End time strong delusion. People are kept from thinking straight, acting reasonably, and even voting sensibly. And the consequences? They are staggering. Many think that politics will be our savior, but minus God, we will never function properly. Amen? And on top of that, no nation can be great without God. And that's your first blank there on your study sheets, by the way. One of the things that I enjoy doing is reading some of the quotes of our founding fathers. I'd like to share a couple of those with you today and contrast those, if you will, with what we see our politicians and so forth saying today. Samuel Adams. May the Constitution be never construed to authorize Congress to subject the people to unreasonable searches, seizures of their person, papers, or possessions. And i got to stop and think, I wonder how the COVID passports would enter into all of that. John Quincy Adams, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. From the day of the declarations, Americans were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel, which they nearly all acknowledged as the rules of their conduct. Another one, George Carver. The secret to my success is simple. It's found in the scriptures. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Daniel Webster. If we abide by the principles taught in the scriptures, our country will prosper. If we choose, and it is a choice, to neglect its instructions and authority, sudden catastrophe will overwhelm us and bury all of our glory and profound Obscure, into proud, profound obscurity. Abraham Lincoln. Let's see, where did he go? We the people are the right masters of both Congress and the courts, not to overwhelm the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. Whoa. Have you heard of Charles Finley? Charles Finley was known as the modern-day revivalists. Charles Finley started a school in Oberlin, Ohio. And when I was there in Ohio as a youth pastor, I had the opportunity to stand behind the same pulpit that he preached from. I'll never forget that. But by that time, in 1975 or 6, they'd already removed all of his pictures from the college. Here's what he said. The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics, or the Lord will cause them 
or excuse me, or the Lord, the, the Lord will curse them. Christians have been exceedingly guilty in this matter, but the time has come when they must act differently. Christians seem to act as if they thought God did not see what they do in politics. But I tell you, he does see it, and he will bless or curse this nation according to the course they take in politics. One more from Abraham Lincoln. It is the duty of nations, as well as men, to own their independence upon overwhelming power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in Scripture and proven in history that those nations only are blessed by God. Here's the prayer that we need to be making today. He continues, Let us pray that the God of our fathers may not forsake us now. Fifty years ago, or thereabout, we showed God the door. The consequences we're beginning to see today. He's withholding his blessings and protection as never before. Please understand that all of this is happening according to God's sovereign will. For you see, soon the church will be raptured out. America and other world powers have to fade as world influences so that the global government can rise up and rule this world. That is happening now. The church must wake up. If you'll look again at your sheets there, um, in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 through 16, this is to you and I as Christians. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it, the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Not only are we the light, it says, it continues, you are the light of the world, or not only are we the salt, but you are the light of the world, a lamp put under the basket, cannot stand or give light. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your great works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Salt and light. Think of that. That's what we're supposed to be. Salt is a preserving agent, right? Light just shines forth and gives direction. You know, the closing days of the church age are a challenge to all mankind, and we are living in that time right now. For the godless, it doesn't make sense. For the Christian, it's a roadmap of what is ahead. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13, we can't know the exact time of Christ's return. What we can know about that time, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6, we can know the season, but we can't know the exact time. Matthew 24, 33, when you see all of these things, know that the time is close. What things? We often read through that verse of Scripture, what things is he talking about there? Can I share a few with you this morning? These are the things that are going to be taking place just before the Lord comes back and we are raptured out of this world. Matthew, uh, let's go with uh, increasing instability of nature. Are we seeing any of that? Sure. 
Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. Increasing lawlessness and violence. Oh my, seeing a lot of that. Matthew chapter 24, 12. Increasing immorality. Matthew 24, verse 37. Hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure. 2 Timothy 3, 4. Humanism, the focus of self. 2 Timothy 3, 2. Deprived entertainment. 2 Timothy 3, 4. Calling good evil and evil good. 2 Timothy 3, 3. The increasing use of drugs. The increasing display of blasphemy. Increasing despair. All found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 2, and 3. Signs in heaven. Luke 21. Increasing in knowledge. Increasing in travel. Daniel 12, 4. Explosion of the cults. Matthew 24, 11. Rise of false Christ, Matthew 24, 5. Increasing apostasy in the church, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Attacks on Jesus, attacks on the Bible, Romans 1, 18 and 19. Persecution of Christians, Matthew 24, 9. Weapons of mass destruction, Luke 24, 26. Increasing famine, increasing pestilence, Luke chapter 21, verse 11. You read about all of these things happening right now. Increasing in technology, Revelation 3, 7. The movement towards a one-world government, Daniel chapter 7. The regathering of the Jews, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 through 12. The denial of the second coming, 2 Peter 3. Denial that God created all things, Romans 1, 18 through 22. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Well, I could go on. The list is quite extensive. These are examples that show us that we are living in the seasons of the Lord's return. And God is providing all of these signs. But why is he doing it? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us why. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Folks, time is running out. Are you ready? Do you know that you know that you know that you have been born again? My mentor, Dr. Jerry Fowler, used to say that while I was in school all the time. Do you know that you know that you know that you have been born again? Has God come into your life? And the proof of that is that you have been changed from the inside out. New desires, new goals, new motives, new everything. You have a desire to go to church. You have a desire to get into the Word of God that you've never had before. Why? Because you are different. And if you aren't experiencing that and saying, yes, I'm a Christian, I've always been a Christian, or whatever, you're deceiving yourself. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. All things are gone. All things are becoming new. The aorist tense, it's a continual action. And it will continue until when? Until we get home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open gates or door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. One of the key verses today in how we are to live in the day in which we our living is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 3. It's on your sheets as well. Look at it. How are we to live? Number one, we're to live watchful. 
Two, stand firm in the faith. Three, be encouraged and strong. Watchful. Ephesians tells us to live circumspectly. You know what that means? Know what's going on around you and how to respond. We look forward to Christ's return. And we are aware of what's going on now. And through the study of God's word and the teaching of God's word, know how to respond in these situations. We are watchful. Secondly, we are to stand in the faith. It's going to become more difficult to do that as time goes on. And be encouraged. You need some encouragement this morning? The phrase that I like, keep your beak in the book. That's where encouragement comes. That's where our strength comes from. And so to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to be encouraged so that we might encourage other people and to be strong, we need to be diligent in getting into the Word every day. So I want us to consider this morning seven things to expect before the Lord comes back. Number one, false prophets or Christs. The Bible says that they will, re, they will deceive many, Mark 13, 6, also verse 21 and 22. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23 through 24, where it says this, be on guard. That's your next blank, by the way, in your study sheet. Be on guard. Second thing, wars and rumors of war. Man, since we've pulled out of Afghanistan, different countries are, as they say, rattling their swords wanting to see what we're going to do. Wars and rumors of wars. Famine. There have always been famines. I realize that all across the world. But we're seeing it now, and we're going to see more of it right here in the United States. Earthquakes. Natural disasters. Matthew chapter 13, verse 7 and 8. And while anxiety and fear are building up, and hope seems to be down. I want to encourage you, dear child of God, keep trusting. Turn off the television and get into the Word. Number three, persecution is ahead. We need to be aware of that. Mark chapter 13, verses 9 through 13. All men will hate you because of me. It's interesting. I don't know if you caught it just a couple of weeks ago on... MSNBC, they compared Christians to the Taliban. I say, oh, that's no big deal. Think about it. Trying to create more and more of a division between us. And since that time, two or three weeks ago, they've said that thing repeatedly. Number four, increase in wickedness. And at the same, don't we see, I don't know if that's me or what's going on, but <laughs> oh man increasing in wickedness do we see that oh my goodness at the same time the same verse says many will grow cold distant from God and their love for him and as a result distant or a lack of love for other people as well number five Difficult times ahead, 
Mark 13, 16 through 18, where it says, on equal distress as never before. Well, again, that can be pretty discouraging, can it? It's disturbing to think about. And so we don't. But we must. Number six, we don't know the day or the hour, as we've talked about before. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 33, not even Jesus knows the exact time. You know, I believe that if we could see into the portholes of heaven this morning, we'd see the Father there on the throne, we'd see Jesus on the right-hand side doing what? Making intercession for us, but I think that he's sitting on the edge of his seat, and he's looking over at his Father, just waiting to hear, go get your bride. And I believe maybe he's even at the end, edge of his seat looking over there saying, is it time yet? How about now? But God very soon will say, go ahead. Go get your bride and we will be gone. Amen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 says he will come as a thief in the night. Christian, hear me. At no other time have we needed to be lights more than we are today. Many, may we not become fearful. May we not become weary or even too busy with other things because time is short. The seventh and last sign, signs in the sky. It's interesting. I don't know if you've seen all this uh, talk about UFOs lately. What are the signs in the sky? I don't know. What are the UFOs? I don't know. The seas will roar, heavenly bodies will be shaken, and then in the blink of an eye and at the sound of the trumpet, we are out of here. Amen? Luke chapter 21, verse 25 through 28. When you see these things begin to take place, wake up! Your redemption draweth nigh. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. The hour has come to wake up! 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6, Let us not sleep as others, but be awake and sober. And this one, well, this one gets us right between the eyes. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Wake up, some have no knowledge of the Lord. I say this to your shame. Folks, we are to influence our world and every generation, I believe, will stand and give an account of how we've done in influencing our world for Jesus Christ. But we haven't. The world has influenced us. Would you agree? Where were we when one woman took prayer out of school? The church was quiet. Where were we when Bible reading was removed from the classroom? Again, the church was silent. Where were we when we allowed the Ten Commandments to be taken out of the schools and off the public buildings? Again, silent. And 48 years ago, we allowed Roe versus Wade to take place, and since that time, 62 million babies have lost their lives. And we expect God's blessing and protection. Luke chapter 21, verse 34 through 36. This is a great verse for where we are today in our society. 
Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with depression and the cares of this life. And that day, the rapture come upon you suddenly. Again, he reminds us, or exhorts us, stay awake, alert at all times. Notice, praying that you will have strength to endure all these things that are going to take place, and then stand. Look, it's not going to just happen. You're, you're not going to just choose to be stronger you're going to have to set those times aside where you are in the Word of God and praying like you've never prayed before. It's more than just getting up and saying, thank you, Lord, for a good night's rest and a brand new day. Bless my family. Keep them strong and in good health. Amen. No, it's getting on the, your knees before Almighty God and lifting up your heart and crying out to Him. Lord, save our country. Help me to be what I ought to be. You say, what can I do to change all of this? That's the big question that we keep asking. That's the answer I just gave you. Prayer changes things. You find yourself being anxious? Sure, we all do. At times it's just like a, a, a glass of water being poured on our head and we can't stop it. We become anxious and, and fearful. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 is a great verse for us this morning. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on you because he trusts in you. Keep focused on him. It's faith over fear. Have you seen those t-shirts? I'm going to get one of those t-shirts that says faith over fear. I like that. That's, a, that's what it's at. That's where it is. Faith over fear. The group saying this morning, Days of Elijah. That's a great song. His life and ministry would be used to change the course of his history's, of his nation's history. We know that Israel started off well. God was first and prominent in their lives, but then they began to fall away from that. America has done the same, getting away from our biblical foundations. Elijah stood up. He spoke up. He was radical. He was unafraid. He was bold. He was powerful. And so must we be. For you see, when a nation becomes radically immoral, the moral will appear to be radical. Did you hear that? When a nation becomes radically immoral, the moral will appear to be radical. Those once looked upon as heroes in our country and role models are now seen as enemies of the state, speaking primarily of our police force. How sad! How things have changed! And as time goes on, the gap between the secular world war and the Christian worldview will widen and we will be labeled as radical and, as we already have seen, dangerous. It's just beginning. A civilization in apostasy will attempt to redefine not only good and bad, but the people of God as well. We must remain 
or maybe I should say we must get once, become once again bold. Dads, your purpose is not to protect your children by building a wall around them and keeping them from the world. We are to influence our world. Now, you can protect him, and you should protect him. You're called to do that to a certain degree. But to protect him all of the time from everything so that they're never an influence to others? Wrong. We have to be more dependent upon God. That is the only way that we will be witnesses, as he called us to be. I, I don't know all that's going to take place in the months and the years to come but you know as I said earlier all of it is according to God's blueprint it reminds me of the only poem I've ever memorized <laughs> I'm not much into poems I guess but listen to this I do not know what next may come across my pilgrim way I do not know tomorrow's road or see beyond today but this I know my savior knows the path I cannot see and I can trust his wounded hand to guide and care for me. And I might add to that, no matter what. It's not a time to fear. It's a time to be lights. It's a time to be bold. You see, the more evil the culture became, the stronger Elijah stood. And this, follow this now. This radical and uncompromised stand allowed this one man to change the course of his nation. Did you get that? One person did that. Dwight L. Moody was the one that heard one day, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man totally yielded to him. And he said, I want to be that man. And God used him greatly for it. Is there hope for America? That's what's nice about life. In hell, no hope. But as long as we're breathing, there's hope. And there's hope for America. Could I tell you what the hope for America is? When you go home today and you look into the mirror, stop and take a good look because that is the hope of America. It's all of us doing our part. Will God send revival to America? You can know this. He wants to. And we pray for revival a lot. I see that posted on Facebook and other places a lot. But you know what? God says, wait a minute. This is a, con uh, you do your part and I'll do my part thing. If my people, you know the verse, 2 Chronicles 5, 17, it's become pretty uh, familiar with us, or to us. If my people, now that's you and I today, who are called by my name, will do what? Humble themselves. There's the problem. Humble myself. I'm a self-made man. I don't really need God. 
Do you know, it's, it's sad that most, I shouldn't say, that's not fair, a lot of Christians live their Christian lives knowing that God has saved them and that they're on their way to heaven and they know all of that and then they turn around and it's act, they act like, well, God, if you don't bother me and I don't bother you, okay. And if I need you, I know how to get in touch with you. How sad. We have got to move from a John 3.16 Christianity where we know that we're going to heaven and that's it to a step, step it up. And maybe I could use the verse um, or, or a portion of Scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul said, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. It's your reasonable service. You know what that means? It's the least you can do because of what God's done for you. And be not conformed to this world, verse 2. Instead, be transformed. And there's only one way you can do that, by the renewing of your mind. And that happens as we get into the Word of God and let it wash over us. We humble ourselves before Him. We get on our knees. We fall on our faces and say, God, forgive me for trying to do this on my own. And pray. Not just when we need something. Chuck gave us the acronym for prayer today. That's good. Getting before Him and just pouring out our hearts, praying for us that God would cleanse us so that we might be usable vessels. Praying for our country, praying for our leaders. We're commanded to do so whether we like them or not. <laughs> and prayer, to me, is like a, it's, a, it's not a one-way communication, folks. It's a two-way communication. And then being still before Him and allowing Him not only through the Word, but He speaks to us in that still, small voice saying, this is the way, walk you in it. Humble themselves and pray. And seek my hand. Uh-uh. Hand would denote something that God does for us. Seek my what? Face. That means we want to know Him better. More today than we did yesterday. How do you get to know those people in your life that you know? I remember, you remember when you met your spouse? Now some of you have to go back a while. Some not so far. But you met them and you thought, well, we've got some likes here that are compatible. And, and, and so you, you, you ask her out again. And she really messed up and said yes. <laughs> and you begin to know one another. How? By spending time with them. Same way with a best friend. And the same is with our Heavenly Father. You aren't going to get to know him any better if you're not spending quality time with him. You see, here, here if you, I, I could draw a picture here, a circle rather. And in the middle of that circle, maybe you want to do this, put spiritual growth in the middle of that circle. 
and then put one, two, and three. As I spend time with God, that's the number one thing, I get to know him better, number two, and the more I know him, the better I love him. But it doesn't stop there. The more I love him, the more time I want to spend with him, and so that circle begins to grow, and you see why spiritual growth is in the middle? Because that's how we grow spiritually. But the enemy knows that if you spend time with God, you're going to grow too, and he's going to keep you from doing it if you allow him to do so. Humble themselves and pray. Seek my face. And you thought those three were hard. What's the last one? And turn from the wicked ways. Here's what we do. Well, Joe, Joe, he does it. It must be okay. Or Sally, she goes there or does this. It must be okay. Maybe for them, but it doesn't mean it's okay for you. Don't compare yourselves with others. Turn from your evil ways. You think, here's what I think has happened. Many times when we have a big sin in our life and God convicts us of that big sin, we want to go ahead and confess that. At least I hope we do. But sometimes it's the little things that we let slide. And God keeps putting his finger on it. You shouldn't do that. Or you should do this, something you're not doing. And we let it slide for so long that God says, they're not listening. And he stops speaking. And he stops convicting. Turn from their evil ways. Are we willing to do those four things? Because it's imperative that we do if we want what? Revival in our land. Please understand that revival is not people getting saved. Revival is for that which is alive that needs revived. It's for Christians. And as a result of people getting revived, then you see people getting saved. And in our past history, we've seen where just explosions have taken places. I remember growing up in a little town in Pennsylvania where on Wednesday night, yet in the 60s, they would close at noon so that people could go to the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. How about you? Whoa. Are you willing to humble yourself? And pray? Seek his face? And turn from your wicked ways? Because God says, if you do, I am eager to send revival. And that's the only thing that will save our country. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes? Because I want this to be a personal thing, but I'm going to ask you to do something. You say, Grant, I'm, I'm coming down to the bottom floor, and I'm standing here to say to you that I recognize as we've been sharing today, that the only avenue, the only way to revival is, put it short, God's kids getting right with him. And God, I want to do that today. I want to be part of a movement that you could start right here at Cross Point Community Church today 
that could affect our whole community. Think of that. One man, Elijah, changed the course of his whole nation. You say, I want to stand with you today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes because this is a personal thing. You say, Grant, I'll stand with you this morning. I'll pray that God would use me to change our world for Christ. Would you stand right now? Are you willing to do that? It's always the young people that start out. Isn't that great? I will stand with you. Nope, you don't have to be looking around. No, don't look and see who else is standing. It's just between you and the Lord. I desire to see our country go back to the way it was founded upon biblical principles. And if I can be part of something like that, and I want to just um, bow to that today and confess to God, I, here I am. Use me. Father, I thank you for these that are standing today. And Lord, it's not an easy thing to do, and it's, not, it's going to get harder from here on, here on out. Lord, I just pray that you would help each of us to daily get alone with you, that we might be strengthened and encouraged, that we might be able to be a light and the salt that we might help turn this country around for you. And I thank you for everyone that's been willing to stand today and to say, yes, I'll do that. You may be seated. Now this morning, before we go, before the group sings, I would be remiss not to give you an opportunity that maybe, you, know, you might be here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I know most of you, or I've seen most of you, I think, most of the time. But I don't know your heart. I don't know how the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Sometimes we grow up in the church and we think we're okay until all of a sudden the, Lord, the Holy Spirit puts his finger and says, Hey, listen, you're okay, but you've never trusted me as your Savior. Maybe that would be what you want to do today. Please recognize this. That if you were the only person in all of the world that God loved you enough that he died just for you. Amen? Isn't that the best news you could ever have? And if you're not sure that you're on your way to heaven today, as we've talked about earlier, we're going to have some folks up here that will share with you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. And as we sing this morning and we close our time together, if you have a tugging at your heart's door, you can leave this place changed. You can leave this place different than what you ever have been before. Not only physically alive, but spiritually alive as well. Would you do one other thing for me today? This is for all of us now. Would you just pray, Lord, as I have I've promised to uh, do what I can to be what I ought and change my world for Jesus Christ. Would you just say, Father, open the door for me to share Christ with other people this week? God uses people. He wants to use you. Can I illustrate for that as I close today? 
this past week as I finished up on a job and some new people had moved into the community and so they don't know very many people and all and so I was inviting them about to church and, and, and telling them about Cross Point Community Church and they looked at me and they said well what does Cross Point Church believe? <laughs> I had the opportunity to share the whole gospel with them how Nicodemus came to Jesus one night I think he came to Jesus at night because he was, lit, he was a religious man and he didn't want anybody else to know. That's just my thought. But he came and he said, how can I be born again? What, what do I need, need to do to get to heaven? And Jesus told him, you need to be born again. And I had the opportunity to share that whole thing with them. You can do that. You say, uh-uh, uh-huh. You can God is not only in the life-saving business, he is in the personality-changing business as well. And he'll open your mouth and give you the words to say, all you have to be is what? Available. Available. So if you have a spiritual need this morning, or if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you come as the worship team sings today.